It is a pleasure to be with you all tonight. I've been looking forward to this for over a year. I was supposed to be here last April with you, and something happened in the world. I don't remember what it was, but uh, uh, that was delayed. And, and so when Sean asked if I'd come and uh, share the message with you today, I was really thrilled. I, I watch your services sometimes uh, on the treadmill. You can't tell that I'm on the treadmill every morning at Planet Fitness, but uh, I watch church services when I'm on there, and, and yours is one of them in my rotation. I, I love your band. Uh, Sean's an exceptional preacher, uh, bringer of the word, and so it's a pleasure to be here with you tonight. If you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app on your GFCC uh, phone or uh, uh, whatever, open them to Luke chapter 10. And uh, when Jesus wanted to communicate deep truths, a lot of times he just holds stories. And this morning, uh, I want us to look at a story of compassion. Uh, how many of you would think that maybe we have a compassion shortage in our world? Yeah. Yeah, I, I read about a, a man and a wife who went to the dentist office, and the man said to the dentist, Doc, I, I'm in a terrible hurry. Uh, I need to have a tooth pulled, but I've got two buddies out in the car. We have a tea time at 10 o'clock, and it's 9.30 now. So I, I don't want the anesthetic. I don't have time to let the gums get numb, just pull the tooth. And the dentist said, well, that's going to be pretty painful. And he said, uh, I don't care. Just pull it. Let's get it over with. And so the dentist asked him, well, which tooth is it? The man turned to his wife and said, honey, open your mouth and show him which tooth it is. I see, that's a lack of compassion right there. And we have a compassion shortage in, in our world, and I think it's gotten worse over the last year, hasn't it? Uh, with this COVID crisis, I don't know about you, but it, it's left me on edge and a lot of people on edge and impatient and self-focused. And even when we do feel compassion, a lot of times we don't do anything with it. And so today, I want us to look at a story Jesus told about compassion. And I'm going to make this very, very practical. Because I don't want you to just leave here today and feel compassion. I want you to do something about it. And so in Luke chapter 10, starting verse 25, a lawyer came to Jesus one day and asked him a question. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, uh, maybe you've noticed, loves to answer questions with questions. And so Jesus said, well, what does the law of Moses say? And the lawyer must have heard Jesus preach before because he came up with the right answer. He said, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, that's, that's a really good answer. You do this and you're going to be in, in good shape. And folks, really, that's, that's all it is. It's love God and love people. Love your neighbor. But have you ever noticed lawyers love to take the simple and make it complicated? And so he asked a follow-up question. He said, who exactly is my neighbor? And have you ever noticed that Jesus loves to take the complicated and make it simple? And so he answered with this classic story. You, you probably know it well. Starting in verse 30, Jesus said, well, a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Well, then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. 
Well, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now Jesus asked, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And, and the lawyer replied, well, of course, it's the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, that's right. Now you go and do the same. And in this simple story, Jesus tells us how he wants us to live. Jesus tells us how to live a life of compassion, a life that's going to make a difference. Now, Sean started a series last week called Flip the Script. And it's about trading negative emotions for God's truth. And last Sunday, he talked about trading lust for love. Well, this story, I think, challenges us to trade apathy for compassion. It's not an Old Testament story, but I'm going to try to go with the flow here and trade apathy for compassion. Jesus tells us how to do it. It's a really a pretty simple formula. It begins with opening your eyes and being willing to really see the needs all around you. Not just notice them, but really see them. The priest and the temple assistant, they noticed the man beside the road, but they didn't really see him. They didn't recognize him as a creation of God, as somebody that it would be worth stopping to help. And folks, I think we do that sometimes, don't we? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever eaten out at a restaurant and while you're eating, the waitress comes over five or six times and uh, you never really notice her. And you talk at her, but you don't really talk to her. And we do the same thing with the grocery store clerk. We do the same thing with coworkers. If we're honest, sometimes we do the same thing with the people who live in our house. We see people, but we don't stop to look past the exterior to what might be going on in their lives. Miss Thompson was guilty of that. In her fifth grade class was a young boy named Teddy Stollard. Now, Teddy was not the kind of kid who got invited to parties. He slouched in his chair. He looked bored most of the time. He only spoke when called upon. He never dressed like, uh, right? He had smelly clothes. He was a rather unattractive boy. Whenever his teacher would mark Teddy's paper, she got a certain perverse pleasure out of marking all the wrong answers, and she would put the F on the top of his paper with a little flare. Now, she might have known better because his history was on his school record. His first grade teacher had written, Teddy's a good boy and shows promise, but he has a poor home situation. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is quiet and withdrawn. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy is falling behind. His mother died this year. His father's uninvolved. Fourth grade, Teddy is hopelessly backward. His father has moved away. Teddy's living with an aunt. He's deeply troubled. 
Well, Christmas came, and all the children brought presents to school. They were carefully wrapped, except for Teddy's, which was packaged in brown paper held together with tape and marked for Miss Thompson from Teddy. The teacher would open the gifts one by one for the class to admire. When she opened Teddy's, it was a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing and a bottle of perfume that was mostly gone. And the other kids started to laugh, but Miss Thompson caught herself. And snapping on the bracelet, she said, isn't it lovely, class? And doesn't the perfume smell good? At the end of the class, Teddy approached her shyly. He said, I'm glad you liked my gifts, Miss Thompson. All day long, you smelled like my mother. And her bracelet looked nice on you, too. After he left, Miss Thompson put her head down on the desk and she cried. And she asked God to forgive her. And she prayed that God would help her see what he sees when he looks at a motherless boy. When the children came back to school the next day, Miss Thompson was a new teacher. She tutored the children who needed extra help, Teddy most of all. By the end of the year, he had caught up with most of his classmates, was ahead of some. After that, she didn't hear from him for quite a while, and then one day she received a note, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm graduating from high school. I am second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later came another note, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'm graduating first in my class. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love. Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, MD. How about that? I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat at the ceremony because you were the nearest thing to family that I've had. Love, Teddy. Now, the day Miss Thompson began to make a difference was the day that God opened her eyes to really see this young boy through God's eyes. And I think that's what happened in verse 33 where it says the Samaritan, he saw the wounded man. And friends, if you want to live a life that really matters, if you want to move from apathy to compassion, open your eyes. And be willing to see people as God sees them. And then secondly, open your heart and be willing to let God break it. Jesus said that when the Samaritan saw the wounded man, he felt compassion for him. The message version says his heart went out to him. But the Greek word used there really means to have a churning in your gut. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever seen a situation that so moved you, you, you had a churning in your gut? Uh, that's what happened to me uh, 11 years ago when I read an article in Christianity Today magazine about a, a street in Cambodia called the Street of Little Flowers. It's a street where, at that time, girls as young as five years old would be dressed up in short skirts and uh, makeup and high heels 
And they were put on display behind iron gates for perverted men to rent for the evening. And I had heard reports about child sex trafficking before. But for some reason, when I read that article, it crushed me. It just broke my heart. And I saw these girls. In my mind, I could picture them. And I began to research. I found out that over a million children are trafficked like this every year. And the more I read, the more I had one of the clearest callings that I've ever had in my life. I just knew God wanted me to do something about it. And so I did a little research. I found a ministry in Cambodia called Rafa House. Uh, They have a safe house for girls that have been rescued out of the sex industry there. And so I called them, I I started, uh, our church started supporting them heavily. We started taking teams from our church every February. And after the first trip, the director asked my wife if she would be willing to be in charge of their prevention program to try to help girls not get trafficked. And so my wife uh, started a child sponsorship program uh, in Cambodia. And it grew to three different locations with over 850 children who were given social workers, given rice for their families so that their parents wouldn't sell them to get food. Uh, They were given education so that they would have a shot at a better life. And so twice a year we would go over there and many of those children that I had pictured in my mind when I first read that story of the Street of Little Flowers, now they were children that we knew by name. And so every time we would go, we would meet girls that had been newly rescued, and each time it would break my heart afresh. But that's okay. Because when your heart is broken by the things that break the heart of God, uh, you need to pay attention to that. Because it very well may be that God is telling you he wants you to do something about that need. And here's the thing that I've learned. A broken heart is wasted if it's not acted on. Uh, The Samaritan in this story, he saw the beaten man and he felt compassion, but he didn't stop there. It says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, bandaged them, Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. Now, folks, if you go through your life with your eyes open to those around you and your heart open to God, your heart is going to break over the things that break the heart of God. But if you don't act on it, you don't have any way to have relief. Someone has said compassion without action leads to depression. One of the most heartbreaking photos that I've ever seen was published in the New York Times about 20 years ago. Uh, The BBC documentary tells the story. In 1993, Kevin Carter was shooting photos of the famine in the Sudan when a soft whimpering sound caught his attention. It was a pitiful animal-like sound. He moved towards it until he found the source. A young African girl was crawling weakly toward the center of a clearing. She didn't have the energy to stand. 
and emaciated stood little chance of survival. If the plight of this little girl couldn't stir the world into action, nothing would, as Carter knew instinctively and immediately. He crouched with his camera, ready to frame an eye-level shot. And as he did so, a vulture landed behind her, obviously waiting for the moment of death. He spent 20 minutes carefully framing the photograph being careful not to disturb the bird, and then he clicked. He waited for the bird to fly off, and when it didn't, he, he chased it away. And then Carter sat under a tree and watched the child struggle for a while. And he smoked a cigarette, and he talked to God. But even though there was a food camp only 200 meters away, Sticking to the journalistic principle of being an observer and not getting involved, he never helped the girl. Well, after the photograph was published in the New York Times, it became world famous, helped raise awareness of global poverty. And in 1994, he was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for that photograph. But when word got out that he didn't help the child, media around the world criticized him. The St. Petersburg Times said, the man adjusting his lens to take just the right frame of her suffering might just as well have been a predator, another vulture on the scene. Two months after receiving his Pulitzer Prize, Carter drove his red pickup truck to a small river near Johannesburg where he used to play as a child, and he attached a green garden hose to the vehicle's exhaust. And at the age of 33, he took his life. Now, we don't know all the factors that led Kevin Carter to take his life, but I do know that compassion without action leads to depression. And when God breaks your heart over an injustice in the world, you can sit around and you can be depressed about it, or you can do something. Now, in order to do something... Uh, you also need to open your schedule and willing to have it interrupted. Uh, that's what the Samaritan in this story did. He, I'm sure he had other things to do on his schedule that day. Uh, he had places to go. He had people to see. He probably had DVR shows that he had, or TV shows he had DVR'd and was going to binge watch when he got home. Uh, but he put his planner away when he saw somebody in need. He didn't stop and slap a Band-Aid on this man and say a quick prayer and call it good. He spent the rest of the day with this man. In fact, he spent the night taking care of this man. He allowed his schedule to be interrupted in order to love God by loving his neighbor. So let me ask you tonight, how open are you to that? Let's say you go to work or you go to school tomorrow. Let's say you go to work tomorrow. And you see a coworker, you ask them, well, how was your weekend? And, and they say, okay. But you can tell by the look in their eyes and the tone of their voice that it, it's not okay. They're struggling. And you have a choice to make. You're busy. You got things to do. So are you just going to pass by? Or are you going to allow your schedule to be interrupted? And are you going to take a moment and, and see how you can help? 
Are you flexible enough to carve out a little time to sit and, and listen? Is your planner open enough to God to allow for some divine appointments? Because, folks, you're not going to live a life that makes a difference if your eye is always on the clock. So open your eyes and see the needs around you. Open your heart, be willing to have it broken. Open your schedule, be willing to have it interrupted. And, and then open your hands and be willing to rearrange your financial priorities. Uh, this Samaritan, uh, he essentially wrote the innkeeper a blank check. It says he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, uh, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And folks, I think sometimes as Christians, we give our 10% to God and we think the other 90% is ours. And then God taps us on the shoulder now and then and he points to a need and says, see that need over there? I need you to get your checkbook back out. I need you to get your credit card back out. I want you to take care of that. And God says, remember, if, if you are really mine, then everything you have is really mine to use. Were you aware that, that over a billion people in this world live on less than a dollar a day? At the same time, uh, were you aware that we're spending $604 billion a year in America eating out? We're spending $48 billion a year in America on our pets. $20 billion on video games. Now, it's not a sin to eat out or have a pet or, or have video games. Nothing wrong with those things. But, but are you aware that in a lot of cities, like in Detroit, there's a ministry called Forgotten Harvest, uh, where you can feed an inner city kid the whole summer for $10. That's $10 for food for the whole summer. You give up two Starbucks coffees and you can feed a child for a month for a summer. That's kind of a no-brainer, right? For $15, you can purchase a mosquito net from World Vision that could save the life of a child in Africa from, a, from malaria. For $15, you could save a life. And, and it goes on and on. Uh, we just have to be willing to let God control that 90% that he has left in our hands to manage. When he moves your heart, open your hands. And I think it all comes back to Jesus' initial summary of the Christian life. He says it's all about love. You love God so much that your love spills over to others. And when it comes to a matter of spending priorities, it's, it's still about love, what we love the most. Do we love God the most? Do we love people the most or do we love stuff? Several years ago, U.S. News and World Report told about a little girl. She was uh, seven or eight years old, skinny little girl, who had pulled her 180-pound father out of a swimming pool when he had uh, fallen in unconscious. And a reporter asked her, how did you do that? And she said, oh, it was easy. I love my daddy. And when your motive is love, folks, the possibilities are, are endless. Scott Harrison was a 28-year-old nightclub and party planner when God broke his heart over the millions of people who die every year from lack of clean drinking water. 
And so he started uh, a group called Charity Water in 2006. And so far, he's funded over 600 water projects in 11 nations, brought clean water to over 2 million people. Zach Hunter was only 12 years old when his life began to matter in a huge way. He was at school. He heard about the slave trade in the 1800s in America, hadn't known about that, broke his heart. He came home and told his mother about it, and she said, well, son, you realize that there are uh, over a million people, there are 27 million people are held in slavery today. He didn't know that, so he got a coffee can, and on the side, he wrote loose change to loosen chains, and took it to school, and asked his kids to raise funds to free slaves, and and they came up with $8,500, but it didn't stop there. Schools all across the country started doing the same thing, and And now he has uh, written three books and speaks all across the country on uh, human trafficking. Now, folks, God is probably not going to ask you to start a clean water initiative around the world or to write books and speak on human trafficking. He's simply asking you to love him so much that you can't help but love others. And Jesus says that means you open your eyes, you open your heart, you open your hands, and you meet needs. In fact, it's just little things. He said, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And he said, when you do this for anyone in need, you're really doing it for him. It's just simple acts of love that everybody in this room can do. Mother Teresa, when she was asked how she had accomplished so much, so many great things in her life, said this. She said, none of us can do anything great on our own. But we can all do small things with great love. So here's my challenge for you. Start today. Jesus laid out the example of the Good Samaritan, and and then he told him, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and and do the same. So today at the table where you had your communion, there were some Band-Aids there. I don't know if you picked yours up on the way in, but if you didn't, here's what I want you to do to make this very practical. On your way out, pick up that Band-Aid, put it on your left hand. And I want to challenge you to keep that on your left hand to remind you of the story of the Good Samaritan and be determined to go through the rest of this day, uh, go through tomorrow, go through work on Monday, school on Monday, with your eyes open, with your heart open, with your hands open, looking for somebody that God puts on your heart to bless and and to help and keep that Band-Aid on until you have reached out in God's love to meet somebody's need in a practical way. Maybe you'll leave here today and and go visit somebody in a nursing home. Or you'll sponsor a child through Compassion International or Rafa House or or World Vision. Maybe you'll volunteer at a soup kitchen or a food pantry. Uh, Maybe you'll go to work and school with your eyes open, ready to reach out to somebody who's hurting. And small things done with great love can change the world 
and change you.